Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. The early service, someone came up to me and said, I'm so glad you're preaching on how great thou art. Are you going to sing it? I won't let that sink in a minute now. Because it's not how great thou art, it is it is well, okay? And I'm not going to sing it. But I wanted that to introduce our message today from the book of Job. Job experienced the buffeting of Satan. Job experienced the trials that come into every life. And Job is a good example for us of how to be prepared, how to face, how to handle those situations, those circumstances that we all are going to come into in life. So I'm going to invite you today to take your Bible. You'll need to use your own Bible. We're going to have some of the verses on the screen, but mainly the key points of the message are going to be on the screen and scripture references. And you can turn to them now. You can make note of them and go back and study them for yourself. I'm going to re rely on you today. There are 42 chapters in the book of Job. That's another comment I had before the message. Somebody said, you preached on one verse before. You're going to do one verse today? I guess they thought they could go home early. I said, no, I'm going to preach on 42 chapters today, okay? But we'll still try to get you out on time. Because it is 42 chapters and we want to look at the book from beginning to end, we'll just have time to hit a few highlights and give you a few scripture references and let you do your study for yourself. And the other thing, I'm not going to have time to go through and give you all the details of the events or the background of the book of Job as well. You'll need to gather that uh, for yourself or re rely on your memory of that uh, already. But I believe what we have to share will be meaningful and helpful to you today as we think about facing life. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. So we need to be prepared for that. The Apostle Paul wrote and said, in the last days, perilous times shall come. None of us are going to escape the trials, the tribulation of this life. It's how we handle them. Job handled them well. And I want to give you some guidelines today that I hope will help you understand how Job handled them so you can apply those in your life as well. Job himself in chapter 14 said, man that is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. He knew that from personal experience, but he also was inspired of God uh, to speak those words and they've been inspired to be recorded and passed on down to remind us today. It's a reality. And we don't need much reminder of that. What we as a church have been through in recent weeks tells us you never know what tomorrow may bring and quite often what tomorrow may bring is painful and difficult and so unexpected and so devastating. Uh, we've been through that as a church family. We all know that personally. But the key point I want us to understand today is we need to look at the example of Job and learn how from Job to apply that to our lives and be prepared when the time comes. Now, some of us here today say, well, it's too late for me to prepare. I'm in the middle of the trial right now. But I had some comments after the first service that said, we're going through some things right now, but this was very helpful to us. So I believe it'll be helpful whether you've been through a trial, whether you're in the midst of the valley right now, or whether something's going to come in the future. And in honesty and reality, it's going to come to all of us in the future as well. We'll be looking at the book of Job, but I want to invite you to, first of all, turn with me to the book of James in the New Testament. Job is not mentioned very much in the Bible, except that one book of 42 chapters, his, the record of his suffering and his facing that suffering. 
But he is mentioned by the brother of Jesus, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, as he writes to the Hebrews uh, in James chapter 5. And I just read to you uh, one verse, but I think it helps us to see the importance, the significance of Job as the example for us to look at today. Behold, we count them happy which endure to have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, and the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The two words there in the uh, verse uh, 11 is the uh, word endure, the first uh, phrase there, and then the second word is the word patient. In the English, that's two words, but in the original language, that's one word. Both of them come from the same root word, have the same idea of to bear under or to bear up under. The idea being that I think James is certainly communicating to us, as well as Book of Job, that trouble's going to come. We need to be able to carry the burden of that trouble, whatever it might be, and be able to move forward, to bear up under that burden and not let it destroy us or not let it devastate us, but let us be able to move forward. So uh, James calls our attention to that, and that's what we want to begin with that verse today. But let's go back now to the book of Job, to chapter 1. If you would, I'll ask you to stand with me as we read just a couple of other verses from Job chapters 1 and 2. Again, not going through all the details of what is behind these verses. Let me just read them for you in, uh, first of all, uh, Job chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? And that's the question I want to pose to all of us today. Preparing for life as it comes, have you considered the example of Job? Hast thou considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Have you considered Job? Job's trials and tribulations are recorded in chapter 1. Then there's a little kind of a deep breath. And then chapter 2 says things fell apart for him again. The second time, as Satan came to ask permission to bring Job into trial and testing, for the second time. So notice that in uh, Job chapter 2, verse uh, 4. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause? Hast thou considered my servant Job, Behold, he maintains his steadfastness, his integrity, his testimony, his faith, his foundation, in spite of what is being allowed to happen in his life. Please be seated as we continue today. I'm getting to use my new Bible today that most of you know about. And I'm trying to use my new eyes that I got with a cataract surgery in November and a cataract surgery in December. But I still got to have some readers every so often because I'm struggling with some of that print. So I'll be taking these off and on as we look today. I want to give you seven observations today as we look into Job's life. How did he handle his trial and tribulation as severe as it was? How can we handle the trial and tribulation that we have to face as well? These will be observations and then become instructions. It worked for Job. It will work for us today as well. It's in God's word and it's there for our benefit. 
and for our help and for our understanding. There'll be seven of those. They're going to be on the screen. The references that I'll either read and, and, point, and point to or refer to uh, will be on the screen as well, but the text won't be there. So you'll need your own Bible to turn to the text or uh, uh, go back and read that for yourself at a later time. Let me begin today by sharing with you some words from, they come to me from Scott Dawson through Facebook, but Scott Dawson is quoting Billy Graham from some years ago. And just listen to almost prophetic statement. If what Billy Graham said a few years ago before his death and while he was active in his ministry is true here, how much more true is it in this 21st century where we're living now? Today, many people are living in the bondage of fear. In a recent study, a psychiatrist said that the greatest problem facing his patients was fear. Afraid of going insane, committing suicide, being alone, afraid of heart disease, cancer, disaster, or death. We are becoming a nation of fearful people. Down through the centuries, in times of trouble, temptation, trial, bereavement, and crisis, God has brought courage to the hearts of those who love him. The Bible is crowded with assurances of God's help and comfort in every kind of trouble, which might cause fears to arise in the human heart. Today, the Christian can come to the scriptures with full assurance that God is going to deliver the person who puts his trust and confidence in God. Christians can look into the future with promise, hope, and joy, and without fear, discouragement, or despondency. Dr. Billy Graham, by way of Scott Dawson, simply describing the way things were perhaps a few years ago, but we know they're even worse. Uh, and uh, things are much uh, further down the road today than they were when he spoke those words. But the hope that Dr. Graham expressed is the hope that I want us to gain and to glean uh, from our study here today. If you're looking again, let me just point out these things to you. First of all, Job chapter uh, 1 verse 21 as trials come, whatever they might be, learn to hold what you have in this world lightly. Hold this world lightly. Job 1.21. Having lost a great deal, still more to come for Job, he's able to say in verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave it, and the Lord hath taken it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job had learned that whatever he had in this life, in this world, didn't come to him by his own ability, by his own strength, by his own gifts, but it came as a gift from God, a stewardship from God. And he should hold it and treasure it as a gift from God, but if God allowed it to be removed, he did not need to hold it too tightly and be devastated by that loss, whether it be possessions as Job lost or family members, death as Job experienced, all the suffering that he went through, including his own health. Don't hold anything that you have in this world too lightly. Someone has worded it this way. Never hold anything in this world more tightly than you hold on to God. Our greatest grip, our highest uh, resolve, our, our greatest commitment should be to our faith in God and not to be dependent upon anything that this world offers us or provides us or brings this way because surely everything in this world is going to be taken from us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
That's the experience we're going to have in life. Jesus said also in the Sermon on the Mount, everything we hold in our hand, everything that God entrusts to us is subject to rust or to moth or to thieves. Everything is going to lose its value, diminish, be taken away, be destroyed. And that's just the reality of the world in which we live. That's the reality of the world that Job faced, and that's the rea reality of the world we face today. So we need to learn to hold this world, but everything we hold of this world, hold it loosely so that when it's taken from us, we're not destroyed or devastated, but we can continue to move forward as Job did. Secondly, Job chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, receive advice cautiously. If you remember the book of Job, you know it's a book of advice. Bad things happened to Job. He had three friends show up and give him advice over and over and over again. And the majority of the book is the speeches of his three friends who gave him advice and then his response and reply to those three free friends with no resolution to be found. Near the end of the book, another friend, a younger man named Elihu shows up with more advice. And Job doesn't even answer him. God intervenes and begins to speak at that point in the book of Job. But uh, he had advice coming to him from every direction. But in particular, I want you to see with me today uh, verses. Let me get my glasses. I just can't see it clearly without it. And I don't want to tell you a wrong verse and then maybe reading something else. Uh, Job chapter 2, verse, uh, let's start with verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Even Job's wife, not just his friends, but his wife had advice for him. But then again, here's his response in verse 10. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. And if you look at the next verse, when Job's three friends, uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, followed later by Elihu, all began to come and give their advice and their uh, commentary to him about how to handle and how to deal with the problems that he had and why he was in the situation that he was in. Advice is going to come from everywhere. And we need to know how to sort the advice out. One person may give us advice when we're going through trial and tribulation that's just foolish and it's senseless. We need to know the difference in that and when someone with wise counsel comes to us and gives us words that are deep and meaningful and powerful and enriching. We need to learn how to recognize a true voice and a false voice, to separate the two and not be subject to advice that will lead us down the wrong path. Job was able to discern even his own wife's advice as something he needed to reject. His four friends' advice. And then may I tell you, there's one other voice that Job listened to. I think it's not spelled out in the book of Job, but it's implicit in the book of Job, especially in all the speeches that he gives back to his friends. It's not the voice of a human being. It's that voice that was coming in his head. We can call it self-talk, if you will. Uh, we can also say sometimes that Satan whispers a lie into our mind and gets us to receive it and uh, meditate upon it and concentrate upon it and then it suddenly becomes a part of that which is affecting our life and affecting our choices and affecting the direction that we go. We need to learn to recognize the voice of, voice of truth and the voice of error and be careful the advice 
that we receive and the advice that we respond to. Job learned how to receive advice cautiously from friend, from family, and even from that, that advice that was planted in his mind is that uh, self-talk. Job chapter 13, verse 15, we find that Job was able to stand firm in the character of God. Now, number three, four, and five, these next three that I want to point to, they all kind of tie together, but they're all distinguished, and I want to keep them separate as well. But listen to what Job said in uh, Job chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Job, in his ancient position that he's in in history, we believe Job lived about the same time as Abraham. So what resources did Job have uh, to know the character of God? He didn't have any of the Old Testament. Certainly none of the New Testament. He didn't have all the resources available to us today from the pulpit, all the different media and, and uh, means of communication that come to us to teach us the Word of God and help us apply and appropriate the truth and the help of the Word of God. He had none of that. All he had was his heart. But somehow in his heart, Job came to understand there is a God and I'm here because of him and he's a good God. He's good all the time and he's good in all ways. He does not lie. He has my best interest at heart and he will not fail me at any point, no matter what I'm going through. So he was able to say, even though God's allowed the loss of possession, the loss of family, the loss of health, discouraging words from my wife, confusing words from my friends, all of these things have happened. I still will trust God because he's trustworthy. And that's a point you and I need to be able to claim and understand and, and experience in our lives today as well. God can be trusted even when we cannot see. You've heard the words of the song, when you can't uh, trace his hand, what's he doing? Trust his heart, trust his character. Job came to trust and experience the uh, character of God and that was a foundation for him. Last week our pastor talked to us about the shifting sand and the firm foundation and build your life on a solid foundation. We were taught from the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Well, I think that's the same idea right here for Job. The bottom line for him, his foundation for him was God and his character. He's immov immovable, unchangeable, unfailing, and I'll stand on him regardless of what happens uh, to me and what I experience in life. No matter what others say, no matter what the circumstances are, I will continue to trust in the character of God. Number four, Job claimed the promises of God. Some of the most famous verses in the book of Job are in chapter 19. You'll remember them. But again, Job had no Bible in which to receive these verses. He had no Bible teacher. All he had was that which God had placed in his heart and he responded in faith to that knowledge and that truth and that uh, direction that God gave in his heart. And by faith, he believed the promises of God, even though none of them had been spoken to him or written down to him up to this point in his life. But listen to this uh, stand on the promises of God in Job uh, chapter 25, uh, verse 19, verse 25. Chapter 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Who told Job about a Redeemer? 
Who told Job about some future event that was going to impact him and deliver him and affect him in a positive way? Only his faith in God and the promises of God that are made to known to him in his heart. You and I have 5,000 years or more of history since then. We have the full revelation of the Word of God. We have all the messages and the resources that come to us today that are beneficial and helpful and trustworthy. You and I certainly should be willing to stand on the promises of God that have been made clear to us. He had the promises of God in the elementary form, the earliest forms, and yet he claimed those promises of God and declared them here. Going on to the next couple of verses, verse 26, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. How did he know that? It was a promise of God that God had made in his spirit, in his inner man. He didn't have anybody to quote it for him, to refer him to it, to demonstrate it for him. It was him and God's work and God's place in his life. And the place he put God in his life allowed him to hear and believe and stand on not only the character of God, but the promises of God. The next verse, one day I will see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Another of the promises of God. There's a redeemer. There's a day out there in the future that God has planned that God is is bringing to its point and to its conclusion. And I will have a personal uh, encounter with my God. I'll see him face to face. Paul wrote about that in the New Testament, but thousands of years later. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Well, Job knew that thousands of years before, again, by Experiencing what God said to his heart and trusting in those promises of God based on the character of God. Not only the promises of God, but also the plan and purpose of God. Verse uh, number five. Look there, if you would, go back a little further in Job to verse uh, chapter nine, first of all. Job chapter nine, verses 32 and 33. For God is not a man, he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him, that we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. If you remember the whole scenario here in the book of Job, Job's friends basically are accusing him of his own unrighteousness and his own sin and saying you need to confess this and get right with God. Well, Job knows, as we read in those earlier verses, that as far as his knowledge was concerned, he was upright and in right relationship with God. And so what he's crying out for here is, God needs to send somebody who can lay hold on him and lay hold on me and bring us together and help us come to a union and to a relationship and to an agreement. Again, thousands of years before, but he was looking for, it says here in the King James, a daysman. You may have another translation that calls that a kinsman redeemer or maybe a savior. The Hebrew word for that in the book of Ruth is goel. Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He took care of uh, Ruth uh, and uh, provided for her and delivered her from the dire situation that she was in there in the book of Ruth, as you remember. Well, that's what Job is looking for here. The character of my God is such that he has a plan and a purpose. And I don't know his name, and I don't know the timetable, and I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but at some point, this God that I trust is going to 
establish that which is needed in order for he and I to get together and to be in right fellowship and right relationship. That's what that word uh, daysman there is talking about. Now there's another reference, we won't uh, go there to look today, but chapter 16 verses 19 through 22 speak of the same thing. Job said, our God is a God of purpose. He's good. He loves me. He's not going to do me wrong. He's not going to do, bring me harm. Because of that, I'm going to trust him, and I believe he's going to have a plan and a, uh, 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 something he's going to work into the future that's going to bring everything to where it needs to be. Of course, you and I now have the full benefit of the 66 books of the Bible and all the thousands of years of Old Testament, New Testament, and Christian history since then, and we know God does have a plan, and that plan involved that in the fullness of time, God would become man and live upon the earth a sinless life, and there on the cross would reach out those hands, and with one hand lay hold on God, and with the other hand lay hold on us, and bring us together. The New Testament calls it reconciliation. That's what Job was longing for. He believed in it, even though he would not live to see it. But he looked forward to what God would do for us in Christ. So Job looked at the plan and the purpose of God. To put those three things together. The character of God, he's trustworthy and he loves me. The promises of God, not only that there's life after death, not only is there an appointment with God in the future, not only will I stand face to face with God one day, but also God has a plan to bring me into a right relationship with him through the kinsman redeemer who our kinsman redeemer, of course, is Jesus Christ. So there's the purpose of God, the plan of God revealed in the book of Job as well. Number six, turn with me, if you would, to Job 38. We're coming now to the very last portion of the book of Job. All the friends have spoken, including that last younger friend. Job doesn't even answer. But now there comes another answer to Job in chapter 38. I want us to look just at verses one and two. And our thought here today is wait for the voice of God for you, for you alone, for your specific situation and circumstance. And this is what happened for Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. God spoke to Job out of nature and out of a storm, out of the whirlwind, and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and will answer me for there God goes on to give his speech to Job. Job's listened to his friends, both the three older friends, the younger friend. He's listened to his wife. He's listened to his self-talk. But now finally God speaks. And God speaks to him. And God speaks in a way that he can understand. And God speaks in a way that applies to his circumstance. And I want to tell you today, God will do that for you as well. He speaks to us through the Bible. He speaks to us through nature and his revelation of himself out there in the world and down through history. But I want to tell you, I've experienced it and many of you have as well. He also speaks to you personally and individually when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. And I don't believe he's just there with us. At some point in that experience of our tragedy and our heartache, he will whisper to us. He will speak to us. It may be a verse of scripture that he brings to mind. It may be the words of a song that we hear on the radio or that someone communicates to us. It may be the words of another person who's talking to us about an entirely different subject, but God causes their words to hit our ear and our mind and move into our heart in such a way that we know that's God speaking to me and giving me an answer or giving me an assurance or giving me a hope. The voice of God will come to every person, not only in written form, not only through history, 
not only through the formal communication of the sermon or the lesson that's taught, but he will also speak to a person. He's done it for me and he'll do it for you. Uh, even in that uh, still small voice where he speaks to our heart and we know that's God speaking to me, telling me he's with me and he's going to see me through this trial, this circumstance, this tribulation that I'm in. God spoke to uh, Job through the whirlwind. He'll speak to all of us. We need to listen to his voice. And then finally, number seven, discover and declare your own personal faith and hope. I know the faith and hope of my parents. They're now in heaven. I know the faith and hope of my grandparents and my great-grandparents. They're all in heaven. But there had to come a time in my life when I came to my own understanding, my own expression, my own feeling, my own statement of testimony and faith and trust in God. And that's what we find Job doing here. After God's final speech in the book, Job then comes to respond to God in chapter 42. Just look at it for, if you would, the first few verses. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not. Things too wonderful for me, which, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto thee. And here's the key verse, I think, verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now I see for myself. My eye seeth thee. God, you've spoken to me, even through my friends whose opinion was not very helpful. and uh, My wife, who certainly was not an encouraging word, but you've used those to point me towards you and to draw me closer to you. And now not only do I hear for myself, but I see for myself your hand at work in my life, your purpose in what I've been going through. Why does God allow us to go through some of the things that Job goes through, that many of us have gone through, some of us are going through right now? Why does God allow us to do that? Well, there are several things. Uh, John MacArthur says these words, if you understand that God is using all the difficulties that you face to perfect you, you are at peace. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For you are his workmanship. We don't go on to that next verse too often, do we, in Ephesians chapter 2, but we need to. The whole purpose of salvation by grace through faith is that we become his workmanship. That word workmanship is better translated masterpiece. And a masterpiece is not created instantly, it's created over time. And it's created through a creative ability and with a purpose and a vision of you in mind that that which seems to have no beauty and no meaning, no purpose now over a process of time through the experience of the sculptor, the painter, however it's being brought to, to pass, we become, our masterpiece is brought into existence. And that's the way God works in our lives through trials and tribulations to bring us to be his masterpiece, his workmanship. We're saved by grace through faith to be his workmanship, his masterpiece. That's the plan that God was working out in Job's life. That's the plan he'll work in my life and in your life today as well. I'll share with you one other quotation today before we adjourn. I shared with you from Scott Dawson and Billy Graham. That's two men at one time giving me a good quote. I shared with you from John MacArthur. How about one from... Andy Griffith, but it's a good one. Andy Griffith said, I firmly believe 
that in every situation, no matter how difficult, God extends grace greater than the hardship and strength and peace of mind that can lead us to a place higher than where we were before. Even Andy Griffith understood that and expressed his faith. Another one who's spoken in the past is now in heaven. But uh, with those words, he reminds us God's got a purpose in all the things he allows us to go through. Not only is his purpose uh, to make us his masterpiece, which then when the masterpiece is completed, whether it's a piece of sculpture, artwork, music, whatever it might be, it's not the piece of music that gets the credit, it's the creator that gets the credit. Do you see why God allows us to go through some things? He allows us to go through, us to go through some things that we might become his masterpiece. And people say, look what, not what they did, but look what God did in their life and in their circumstances. That's why we need to come to our own place of conviction and confidence in God and stand firm, bear under during the trials and tribulations of life so that he can use those difficult times in our life to make us his masterpiece. But not only does he make us his masterpiece, but he also gets glory to himself. And then thirdly, he uses us to draw people and to bring people uh, from where they are to him through us. People look at his masterpiece and say, look at what God did. The next logical thought is, if God did that for them, where they were and brought them to there, could God do the same thing for me? And we go through the trials and the tribulations in order for him to bring us through to that place where uh, he wants us to be in order that he might draw other people to himself. I hope those seven thoughts will help you today. You can take them with you. Take those scripture references, the entire book of Job. Look it over and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and minister to you through these words today. From those last words of Job that I just read, the rest of the chapter tells us that Job got his family back, his possessions back, his health back. He lived 140 more years. Most of us don't even want to live 140 years, do we? He got an additional 140 years. Makes you want to come up to the end of that and say, well, it sounds just like a fairy tale. They lived happily ever after. Not. No. In that 140 years, how many more deaths do you think Job experienced in his family and his circle of friends? How many more business losses did he have? How many more illnesses did he experience? And if nothing else, from whatever age he was to begin with, those remaining 144 years, he's getting older and older and older and weaker and more susceptible to disease and infirmity. It wasn't happily ever after. But the day Job died, he already had the hope and the promise. He claimed that promise earlier. When I die, I will see God in person. I will see my Redeemer in person. And that's the hope that you and I have today as well. God doesn't promise you or I a fairy tale to live happily ever after. No, Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation. But he went on to say, but I have overcome the world, so be of good cheer. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth unto you, but the peace I give unto you uh, of myself. My own peace I give unto you. You and I can overcome and move through trial and tribulation. We can become God's masterpiece. We can become a testimony to his goodness and his faithfulness and his glory. And we can be used to draw other people to himself. That's what Job did. He's still doing it today. 
And that's what we celebrate and try to share with you this morning. There are those of us in this room and those of us by live stream, those who may be watching now or at some point in the future on a recorded uh, version of this service. But when you get this message, wherever it's, whether it's here in this room, whether it's by live stream, whether it's on uh, June the 11th or whether it's sometime out in the future, God wants you to know today if you're his child, you are going to go through tribulation, but you're never going to go through it alone. And it has a purpose and he will see you through. And when it's all said and done, he has something better for you in store than you can even imagine or think about. And I want to encourage you today, if you're going through trial, when you begin to go through some out there in the future, claim that truth and that promise from God. These insights, these observations from Job's life that we've shared with you today. You may find yourself today, or whenever you hear this message, you may find yourself at that point where I'm not hearing from God like I need to. I'm not discerning God's voice as opposed to the voices of others. I'm not familiar with God's word as I need to be. I'm not claiming the promises of God as I need to be. I'm not looking for the purpose of God in my life. I'm just overwhelmed by what's going on. If you're a child of God and that's where you find yourself today, you don't have to stay there. I want to invite you today in these next few moments to come forward, to kneel here at this altar to ask God to take over and to take charge of your life, to work out his purpose and to tell him you trust him even though he slay you. Just like Job made that statement of confidence and trust in the character of God. As I speak today though, as well, there may be those and there are those in this room and in other places who have no idea of the God we're talking about or a relationship with God that's available to you. But it is available today and it's available through his son, Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. The grace is God's love for you. The faith is uh, uh, trust in, reliance upon what Christ did for you when he died on Calvary's cross. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that today. Again, if you're here in this room, you can come forward and make that decision public. And we'll be glad to help you and counsel with you. There may be others here today who need to uh, uh, join this church, make, move your church membership, or make some other decision. We invite you to do that. But I invite you right now to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and the Word of God uh, to guide you in what you need to do and you respond publicly in the way you need to in these next few moments. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this day and this place and this opportunity to be together. We thank you for a man like Job who suffered beyond description, beyond imagination, but he never lost his faith in you. He continued to hope in you, continued to move forward with you till you brought him to that place of victory. Lord, I pray you'll help each one of us to do that today. Speak to hearts, help those who need to respond to do so. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.